The book of Daniel is an example of an apocalyptic, of apocalyptic literature, which is full of strange visions and symbolism. Arising during times of great persecution, apocalyptic literature is concerned with God's revelation about the end time and the coming kingdom of God, when God will vindicate the righteous who have been persecuted. The first reading is from Daniel, the 12th chapter. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmody reading is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Images of worship and sacrifice are used, frequent, are used throughout Hebrews to highlight what Christ has uniquely accomplished through his death. Because we have received forgiveness through Christ's death, we live with sincere hearts by trusting in God's promises and encouraging love and good works from each other. The second reading is from Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made footstools for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin, the full assurance of faith. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter and James John and Andrew, they asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and when they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The Gospel of our Lord. A controlled fall out of a hovering helicopter is the easy part. Once you rope down to the ground, you realize that you are 25 miles away from civilization. You're equipped only with a knife, a compass, a small sleeping bag, and a canteen. There's no tent, despite snow and brutal cold in the forecast. You have no extra food. Your last meal was yesterday, and you'll be out here for many days. It's pitch dark, and you've got no flashlight and no night vision goggles. To top it off, hostile natives are roaming the countryside, and they are looking for you. You definitely do not want to be found, because they will torture you. Welcome to SEER training, SEER school, SEER Survival, evade, resist, escape. It's the final stage of training for candidates attempting to earn the Green Beret. 
of the elite United States Army Special Forces. It's for candidates. For three weeks, these candidates will live primarily outdoors at Camp McCall, North Carolina. There they learn seer techniques and principles that culminate with a nightmarish field exercise designed to test these candidates' ability to live under intense physical and mental stress. Talk about leaving your comfort zone. Students are grouped into teams of six. These teams are placed in the wilderness. They are pursued by hostile forces that make up of seer instructors, special sol- specialized soldiers, and even law enforcement that use their dogs. Sleep is scarce, as is food, particularly in winter, as plants and trees are bare, animals and insects are hiding. Students lose an average of 15 pounds during this course. Captured teams, well, they're taken to a mock prisoner of war camp that's called the lab. At the lab, their resistance to interrogation and intimidation is tested by instructors with nicknames like the hammer. It is some of the toughest training the military has to offer. But the experience gained and the lessons learned are absolutely essential for those who are getting ready to move into harm's way. In the long days of combat operations, in the seconds where life and death hinge upon every move and every decision, these people will be trained up. They will be prepared to complete their mission and to come home alive. Mark chapter 13. It made me think of Seer School and the life lessons learned there. In some ways, this gospel book of Mark could be read like a Seer training manual only for Christians. Disciples with Jesus as their sole instructor. For 12 chapters, 12 chapters, Jesus has been teaching them about the mission. He has been teaching them combat operations. He has been teaching them about survival as he moves about from place to place in this holy land. From chapter 1, he endured 40 days in the wilderness with very little to eat or drink. And he prevailed in a one-on-one combat with the lies in the presence of the evil one, the most evil one. From there, he calls a special group of men to follow him as disciples so he can train them up that someday they will become apostles. He took disciples before demon-possessed men and he taught them lessons about the power of God over all of creation, including the evil demons and the inspired inspiration of those demons upon any human institution and any human teaching. Then he took the disciples to sea and he gave them lessons about storm and how they could trust him in a storm. He took took disciples to the synagogues and he taught them about the war that will become as he brings truth to the institutions, even religious institutions. They're teaching false things. He led them through towns and cities. He taught them about bridging the gap, about touching the sick, the ones who are hurting with God's love, God's healing, God's truth. He led them to quiet places, to mountaintops, 
And He taught them about remembering who God is and who they are through their prayers and the Word and the rest. For three years, the disciples learned how to live simply in a very close relationship with Jesus their Lord. For three years, they learned how to live free in the presence of their Lord. For three years, how to thrive spiritually with their Lord. Today we read about the mission environment that they're going to go into. God's intel about what they're going to confront in the days and the years ahead. He tells them that in their days of comfort, that their days of comfort and security, they are numbered and they're coming to an end. The world around them will be in conflict and will be in confusion. There will be war. There will be earthquakes. There will be confusion. There will be famine. There will be political turbulence. That very soon they will find themselves in unfamiliar lands. That they will be hunted by their adversaries. They will be betrayed by their friends and even their family. They will be beaten. They will be thrown into prison. And they will stand before the powerful ones. And they will be interrogated. They will endure life conditions that people who are lesser prepared and lesser trained could break down and fear for their lives. But, Jesus is saying, you will not be afraid. Hold on to the truth that you have seen from me and you've experienced into me. Hold on to that truth in these days. Apply the prayers. Apply the power of God's Holy Spirit that you have personally come to know. And remember those two mission trips when I sent you out and it worked. Remember. And, 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 and keep your faith. Don't listen to the lies. Keep the faith that you have been given and guard it. And more than keep it and guard it, share it. When it's your time to stand and share, when it's your time to pass it on to the next generation, when it's your time to be that, be that with boldness and confidence. Some look at today's Bible lesson and they, they invest considerable amounts of worries and frightened thoughts and frightened energies into these threatening words that you would read in this chapter 13. Some people look at the newspapers and all the stuff around the world and they get nervous and scared and all worked up. Friends, Jesus did not tell the disciples about what was going to happen because He wanted to terrify them. He did not speak of an end time conditions to make them live small, to hide in safe places, to not say a word that might disturb their little safety in the world around them, to, to be in a distance place from the devil or inspired haters, to be worried about famine and plague and war or any horrible, horrible economic events. Jesus told them what was going to happen so that they would be more than conquerors that they would remember His example of power and victories over sin and evil in all creation, that they would live with confidence in His strong name and in His love. They would have courage to follow His example 
bringing love and truth to the world, regardless of the cost. That with deep God-inspired love, that that love would guide them everywhere they go, and it would inspire others to join them and do the exact same thing. Chapter 14, the very next chapter. There's some epic battles. Jesus will gather His disciples in those battles and He will establish a new covenant. We call it the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. It was for them and it was for the forgiveness of their sins. It was an ultimate promise of His love. It was an ultimate proof of God's determination that He will bring those home who would confess, who would repent, and who would trust with the sacrament of Holy Communion, these disciples from this day going forward, no matter where they were, no matter what they faced, they would taste and they would smell and they would receive God's victory over sin and death. Chapter 15, right after that, the next chapter, there's a crucifixion and He dies. He becomes our Lamb. He is slain for our sins. He freely gives His body because He wants us to have the gift that He's going to give. Chapter 16, He doesn't stay dead. He is raised from the dead. He is raised. They see His body. They hear His voice. He eats food. And He's also very spiritual and He goes. From the beginning of Mark's book, Mark's spiritually inspired gospel book to the very last words. We are told about what Jesus did, about what Jesus said, all He taught, and all He demonstrated. For three years, we read of training disciples to become apostles so that nothing will bring terror to these dear children of God. Nothing. So that nothing will defeat their hope that God will love them and God will forgive them so that nothing will distract them from the way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the life He gives. Not the lies of the evil one, not war, not economic disasters, not famine, not plagues, no hardship, not even our mortal death, in these long years of combat operations, in the seconds where life important, life and death decisions are made, Christians can and are trained up and we are prepared to complete the mission and we are prepared to come home to heaven and live. Church, our mission objections are simple. Our mission objective is to train up and to know Jesus. Know that instructor. Know everything He said. Know everything He did. Remember every example and every interaction He had with the world. You know Him and you hold Him close because He is your example. He is your guide and He is your strength as you walk every step in this world. Know Jesus. Second part of our mission objective is simple. It's to train others up to do the same thing. Make Jesus known. Train them up to know the exact same thing that we have been given. Our resources in this project, they're powerful. They're the Word of God. We do not change them. We do not alternate them. We do not embellish. We do not elaborate. We just take His Word and there it is. 
We have the sacraments. We receive the sacraments. We participate in the sacraments. That is God coming to us powerfully. We receive the Holy Spirit of God. And then we go to work. How we pull off this mission, it's up to our God-inspired creativity. The mission doesn't change. Know Him and make Him known. But how you actually do that, boy, He can inspire any congregation to do so in a unique way. And that's kind of fun to discover. But that we adopt God's mission as our mission, that we complete God's mission as instructed, that is not an option. That's above our pay grade. God sets the mission, Jesus gave the mission, and He instructs us how to complete the mission. That mission is not for us to negotiate. Ours is to do or die, right? Ours is not the reason why, ours is to do or die. We just do the mission. And it's very simple for us. Saying again, know Jesus. Know Him. Don't just know about Him. Just don't get smart with all the books and all the details and all the, the, the information and all the doctrines. Don't just know about Him. Know Him. And then from that place that's beautiful and simple like a child in the lap of God, make Him known. That is what we are made and trained to do and to be. God, help us be that church. Let us declare our faith. We will use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And let us pray. Let us pray for the people of God, for the church, the gathering of God's forgiven people that will be of support and encouragement to one another as we await the day of the Lord's return for those who bear the responsibilities of being leaders in the church. Give them support and joy in their service. Bless Emmanuel's congregational meeting today. Give us the unity of heart and mind that decisions are made that give you honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy. For our nation, our state, our local community, and our neighborhoods, that justice prevail in our courts and in all centers of government. As we await the day of the final judgment, help us lead lives that are peaceful, secure, and according to your will. Lord, in your mercy. Oh God, there is fear and uncertainty in many human hearts, even in our hearts today, and for some, every day. You understand the afflictions of the lonely, we pray for those who have no one to draw close to. Help them know your presence, see your power, and be consumed by your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Shine your light upon those we name in our hearts now. Be it ourselves, the person next to us, the one we left at home, perhaps the one we heard about on TV, 
or the one who is our neighbor. Lord, we lift them up before you now. Let them feel your presence and bring them the peace that only comes from knowing you. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, you know our needs and the needs of others even before we speak of them with our words or in our hearts. Graciously hear our petitions for those who are afflicted, troubled, sick, and those who have asked for our prayers. Today we remember Kurt and family, Jeff, Jim, Dallas, Perry, Greg, Mary, Barry, Jacob, George, John and Anna Marie, Debbie, Jenna, Jill, Elaine, Beverly, Betty, Luther, Cheryl, Roy, George, April, Brian, Alec, and those we name in our hearts. <coughs> Have mercy upon each one. Sustain their hope in the full and final healing that awaits us on the day of our Lord's appearing. Lord, in your mercy. We commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.